Hey there, it's Trish. So for Black Friday, I am so thrilled to offer you a few incredible offers. First up, you can grab one of my signature birth classes, either Calm Labor or Confident Birth Class or the VBAC Lab combined with all four mini companion classes, including the postpartum recovery class, the birth coach class, the newborn academy, and our highly sought after purposeful positioning course. Get all of them for just 148 down from the usual 297 for our main class alone. And for those of you guys who already have the birth classes and are more focused on specific needs, grab our second bundle, all four mini companion classes for just 57. Equip yourself with knowledge, confidence, and the tools for a powerful birth experience. Don't miss out on these amazing deals. Empower your birth journey today. And remember, these offers are only for a very short time. Go to labornursemama.com and pick your deal. Today's guest, Eva, is a certified infant and child sleep consultant and is the founder of My Sleeping Baby and the Sleep Bible Program. Eva's main goal is to help her clients establish healthy sleep habits for their children. If we do that, guess what? We have healthy sleep habits. So listen in as I talk to Eva and talk to her about some ways that you can help your baby sleep through the night, which we all want. All right, listen in as Eva and I chat baby sleep. Eva, I am so excited to have you on today and talk about all things baby sleep. This is something that many of my students right now are struggling with. We've had a ton of births in the last month or so, so I know they are going to be hanging on every word. However, before we get started, I just want to hear about you, like who you are, tell me your story, and tell me how you ended up becoming a sleep expert. Yes. Thanks so much for having me here, Trish. I appreciate it. So yeah, my name is Eva Klein. I'm a certified infant and child sleep consultant. I'm the owner and founder of My Sleeping Baby. And I got into this business completely by accident, all because of my middle child. So I I help exhausted parents of babies, toddlers, and preschoolers get their little ones sleeping like champs so that they can feel like a functioning human, which is exactly what I was not when I had my middle child. So I got into this completely by accident because I am actually a lawyer by training. So I graduated law school. Yeah, it's quite a pivot. I know. I, I didn't tell know people this. that I'm also a lawyer. Yes, haven't worked for a very long time as a lawyer, but I'm still a member of the Law Society of Upper Canada in good standing. I graduated law school back in 2011 here in Ontario. And then I gave birth to my first baby shortly after finishing school. And she was one of those babies that made me look like the best mom in the entire world. You know what I mean? Like I call her my unicorn baby. She was so happy, so easygoing, ate well, slept, only ever cried when something was actually wrong and just made me look like the best mom, despite the fact that I had no idea what I was doing. And so that gave me the confidence to go on and have another baby a couple of years later. And that baby made me go, oh, this is what everyone's talking about <laughs> when they're talking about a baby who is crying all the time and irritable and doesn't sleep and doesn't settle and is dealing with reflux and is just very high needs overall. And so this was, she was that baby who I kid you not would wake me up every 90 minutes all night long. And I couldn't see straight. I, it brought out this horrible side of me that I had never seen before because I had never been chronically sleep deprived to that degree before. Nothing. I had never experienced anything remotely like that. And so I guess that rock bottom moment for me was forced me to 
open up some sleep books, figure out what to do because I couldn't go on like that. I remember speaking to my mom on the phone in tears, just saying to her, I'm so tired that I feel like I'm going to die and I can't go on like this. And so I managed to make the situation a little bit better on my own. It was far from perfect, but she wasn't waking up every 90 minutes anymore, which gave me enough clarity to call up my husband one day and say, hey, you know what? Why don't I use up the rest of my maternity leave to get my sleep consultant certification and launch a side business? Now, I live in Toronto. I live in Canada where mat leave at the time was 12 months long. So, you know, I and I hate saying that on the record when I'm speaking to mostly Americans, because I know that that is not the case. I have a sister who lives in New York, and I know that's not the case there. But just to give you context, that amount of time allowed me to get that certification, launch that side business, which very quickly turned into my full-time thing. And it was way more fun than practicing law and reviewing boring agreements. So that became my full-time thing since 2015, and I haven't looked back. I love that so much. And you're so right that it's so difficult here in the U.S. because we have such a terrible maternity health care system in general. But that is one that it's so mind boggling that most women get eight to 12 weeks, eight to 12 weeks. Your hormones aren't even balanced out. But that's a whole nother podcast episode. So you mentioned your second child. And I loved like when we were talking ahead of time and in some of the correspondence, you talked about your second delivery. And I'd love for you really quick to talk about how you almost gave birth in the waiting room. Oh, yes. <laughs> Isn't that a story? My first labor, just for context, was your very typical textbook labor that was over 24 hours, almost landed up in a C-section, but didn't. And so my second labor, on the other hand, was the complete opposite of that, where I started going, I knew I was in early active labor around one o'clock in the afternoon. I think this was, a, it was a Friday. And I was at the hospital. We finally got to the hospital because we had to drop off my two-year-old and make those arrangements. Got to the hospital around, five, I think it was around 5.30, if I recall. And my contractions were about three minutes apart. And, and I was contracting very loudly <laughs> as well. So I had a doula with me. And you know, contractions, darn it. <laughs> yes, yes. Anyone that knows a little bit about birth, which you would assume would be the people that work in the labor and delivery unit at the front desk, would see and hear me laboring. And they'd be able to say, okay, this is her second baby. And she's contracting every three minutes. And she's contracting very loudly every three minutes. She's going to have a baby soon. She needs a room. Um, Yes, yes, she does. She needs a room and a doctor very quickly, but that's not what happened. Instead, what happened was the receptionist says, oh, I'm so sorry, but triage is full right now. So can you please go wait in the waiting room? And the doula, my, my doula, who's also a friend of mine, says to them, she says, this is her second baby and her contractions are happening every three minutes. I was timing them. I was with her driving down here. I'm sure they them. could hear them every three minutes to and time them themselves. Yes, absolutely. Because I was advocating for myself for a solid 10 to 15 minutes. So there was mathematically about four to five contractions that happened during yeah. that 15 minute period where they said, okay, let me call again and see. They call They're, Oh no, we're so sorry, but triage is still full. Now, I'm trying to be polite. I'm not one of these. I wasn't, I was working as a lawyer at the time. And by no means am I one of those lawyers that likes to walk around threatening to sue people left, right, and center, because that's just obnoxious. You still want to be but nice. And it's a good card to pull when you're about to give birth in a dirty yes. waiting room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I asked them, again, I'm starting to get a little bit agitated here because I know that sending me to the waiting room is not a good idea. And so I asked them again, I said, listen, I am going to have this baby very soon. I really need to be seen. This is not one of these situations where you're going to tell me to go walk around the hospital for three hours to encourage labor. Labor has been encouraged. <laughs> it's there. It's there. Like my body yeah. is getting very ready. We are so sorry, but there's just no space. There's just no space in triage. And that was when I had to take off the, my figurative gloves. And that's when I was just like, okay, you want to play this game? 
fine. I was, that's when I looked at them and I said to them, if you send me to that waiting room, I am going to give birth in that waiting room. And then I will sue the pants off this hospital for negligence. <laughs> yes. And that was when they looked at me. Oh, they and then I had a room. <laughs> suddenly they had a room. And then, you know what else I did, which you legally cannot do, but when you need to scare the bejesus out of people, you say these things. I looked at them and I said, and I can sue, I will sue each and every one of you individually for what <laughs> you are doing to me right now. Now, for the record, when you are an employee of a hospital and you're acting in the, you're acting on behalf of the hospital, you're protected by the hospital's corporate yeah. shield. But in that moment, they don't know that. I only know that because I'm the lawyer. She's saying <laughs> it. I make $12 I, an hour. I exactly. I just need a room. That's it. I gave them so many chances. I don't walk around scaring people, but if you're going to send me to the waiting room, I will actually give birth in that waiting room. And I do not want that to happen. And so it left me no choice. Well, to... Grandpa Bob doesn't want to see yeah. that either. <laughs> no, he does not. And so it left me no choice, but to scare the living daylights out of everyone, which meant that suddenly I had a room and I gave birth an hour later. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. 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 <laughs> In fact, one God. of the nurses, one of, one of the, the labor and delivery nurses who wasn't such a fan of my, my personality, I guess the fact that I didn't want to have a baby in the waiting room, she wanted yeah. to be more respectful of the fact that she wanted me to be more respectful of the fact that they were full. She checked me and she says to me, she goes, Oh, wow. You're eight and a half centimeters dilated. And I was like surprised. And I was like, really? You don't say, you don't say I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm shocked to hear that having yeah. contractions every three minutes apart when I'm contracting very loudly, I thought I was going to be two centimeters. I always tell my students that a good birth professional can de decide about how far dilated you are based on your demeanor. And there are some that are a bit dramatic in the beginning, but we usually can tell that. There is a very distinct difference. And it's funny, when I had baby number two, my situation was almost identical. However, they put me straight in a room. <laughs> they saw me in the waiting room when I came through on camera, gripping the chair rails. <laughs> and they were like, Take her to a room. And I remember, this is way before I became a labor and delivery nurse, I remember being like, how did they know? Yes. How did they know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so funny. But yeah, I'm so glad you shared that because I was laughing. I laughed out loud because the whole point of triage is to decide who needs care. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Oh, who's the first time mom who's yeah. going to maybe deliver in 12 hours from now, who needs to just walk around the hospital to encourage labor to come and who's literally going to give birth within the next one to two hours, if that's. Yeah. And yeah. I was in the latter, yeah. I was in the first category the first time around. And then in the second category, the second time around, in fact, my doula on the way, when we were driving to the hospital, I asked her, I said, Pauline, how far along do you think I am right now? She said, I think about seven centimeters and she was probably being on because by the time I got to the hospital fought my way into a room and they checked me I was eight to eight and a half centimeters nice yeah so she probably was right on especially second babies are my yeah my second babies are my favorite when I get admitted to a second I'm like yes because I love fast deliveries yeah there's they do. They just out. Okay. Like I said before, a lot of my students are struggling with sleep issues right now. And just going through that journey, uh, a lot of first-time moms have never experienced sleep deprivation. It, those of us who are in the medical field who have worked night shift know what it feels like. However, it's still different because not only are you not getting sleep, but your hormones are out of control. You've got this actual legit person who is interrupting your entire life so you're feeling a lot of different emotions and guilt and all of those things and I know like when you were talking about the feelings you were experiencing and I was like wow and I know a lot of my moms are like that's it so I wanted to talk about some practical tips and just what they can do and also talk through some of the effects of sleep deprivation on new parents and how you, I know you have some classes and I'm going to link to those in the podcast show notes, but also just wanted them to 
walk away from listening with some practical tips that they can implement like right now. So I'm just going to let you have it and you can go where you want to go. All right. Amazing. So the very first thing that I'll say is that we know for a fact that sleep deprivation in motherhood specifically is directly linked to significantly higher levels of postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety overall a lack of well-being when when a, when being a new mom. And that can't be the least bit surprising, right? Because when we don't get enough sleep, it means that we just don't feel like ourselves. It means that we don't have the wherewithal to regulate our emotions. It's hard to see the glass half full. We just naturally are going to see everything half empty. It puts us into a state of um, just simply trying to survive the day. And the whole idea behind thriving and taking care of yourself and enjoying life and enjoying your baby has to just ends up taking a back, ends up going on the back burner as a result. And one of the very first things that I tell brand new moms as a result of this, as a result of knowing that getting a five to six hour stretch of sleep off the bat consistently decreases the chances of BD and PPA significantly is and again, this obviously has to be, this piece of advice obviously has to be feasible. And I recognize that not everyone's partners are available to help in those early evening hours. But I know that what was a game changer for me and what's a game changer for so many of my clients is to have your partner do a feed in the evening so that you can go to sleep and get a bigger stretch of sleep. Meaning you feed the baby, you hand the baby off. I would feed the baby. I would hand the baby off to my husband. I would then go to sleep for that, a two to three hour period until the baby needed to eat again, in which case my husband would then feed the baby. I still get to stay asleep. My husband would put the baby back to sleep and then he wouldn't need to eat for let's say another two to three hours. We're dealing with a brand newborn baby here. What that meant is that I was able to get a five-hour stretch of sleep off the bat before having to go back to feeding every two to three hours at night. I can't emphasize enough what kind of a game changer this exact move from the very beginning can be for your mental health, for your physical health, for your recovery. You just gave birth. Whether it was vaginally or C-section, you've got something pretty big to recover from. Yeah. And you need some amount of sleep to be able to do that. Plus, after you get that, plus you have a baby who needs to eat every few hours throughout yeah. the night, a brand newborn baby. And you need to survive. Like your needs still matter here. And so having that help early on from the very beginning, I know for me was a game changer. So and I know for so many families. Yes. Yeah, so either, either I would pump or listen for me, even though I breastfed all three of my kids to varying different degrees for varying amounts of lengths, I personally never had any problem offering formula as well for my husband to either finger feed if I was still trying to establish breastfeeding or by the time breastfeeding was established, which thankfully didn't, doesn't take too long in the grand scheme of things, even a few weeks, my husband could give a bottle, whether it was pumped milk or formula, one or the other, I didn't have any problem with that. But if somebody just wants to be giving breast milk, then yeah, they would just pump so that this way they don't have to be on call for every single feed and then they can get that stretch of sleep. Yeah. And so I know that there's going to be some like hardcore breastfeeding people who are like, oh my goodness, this is not good. You're going to skip a feed. And immediately what I was thinking is using, I am a huge fan of Hakka's colostrum collectors. And what I love about them is they're this tiny little things and newborns, their tummies are very small and you can directly feed them from it. So if you're worried about nipple confusion or any of that, you're not. And that feed that would be happening would be your pump session earlier. So you're not losing a milk supply or what have you. But I think what Eva's saying that is so important, like the alternative, if you are predisposed or if you are gonna end up experiencing postpartum depression or anxiety or rage, any of those postpartum manifestations, then this is brilliant because sleep changes everything. Yes, it does. It does. And I just want to 
emphasize, I had a lactation consultant on my podcast and she is a very big supporter of this specific technique, not just for moms who might be at higher risk of BD, because I yeah. would argue that all postpartum moms are at some degree of risk for PD and PPA simply because of the sleep deprivation. Yeah. And I would say the life changes. I would say you're right. And the fact is you don't want to find out the hard way that you are one <laughs> and that you might. And I think that a lot of a lot of people in general just chalk off a lot of stuff to, oh, that's just normal for postpartum, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. So I know that we here at Labor Nurse Mama, we have a couple lactation consultants that have courses that we support. And I think both of them would totally be on board for this idea. The thing is that I think we beat ourselves up so hardcore on what we should be doing it and doing it perfectly and we forget to take care of ourselves. And I can say from my oldest is 31, if I had to go back, there's a lot I would do different that is more important than other moms thinking you're perfect. So that's a whole, again, a whole nother podcast. I just want to mention one thing because I did have another lactation consultant say, make a comment to me like, oh, that could impact breastfeeding. And what I said back to her was this baby literally nurses 5,000 times a day. And you're telling me the one feed. So the fact that I'm feeding her 5,000 times a day and not 5,001 times a day, that's going to impact breastfeeding. I have a very hard time believing that. I would say that if there is an issue going on, if there's something unusual going on, then that would be a little bit different. But I think for the majority of us that personally would do something like a syringe feed or the Hakka cholesterol feed or a spoon feed or a finger feed. We always had this like finger feeding device that right. we use, yes, for the first few weeks. Yeah. And then after the first month or six weeks, I introduced a bottle. Yeah, and then those, if you guys are wondering, we have one on our Amazon shop and it's called an SNS, a supplemental nursing system. Or you can just get a feeding tube and hook it, but that's a little more complicated for those of you who aren't in the medical industry. However, I think the important thing is remembering that you are important and your needs are important. And we had a really big conversation inside of my private student community. We hang out every week via Zoom. And I love it because we get real. And one of the things I think that's so real is that this is an entirely different person than you, this baby. And anybody, any person comes into our normalcy and interrupts it, you feel emotions. And then if you're really exhausted, those emotions could be exaggerated. So I think this, I think this is really smart for some people. Some people don't need to do that. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Listen, one thing I just want to emphasize, generally speaking, is that any advice that I give or perspectives that I give or advice that I hear or perspectives that I hear, I never believe is should be applied to every single parent in every single situation. Yeah. There are many ways to get from point A to point B. And there's not supposed to be one formula that works for everyone. Not everyone needs the same amount of sleep. Not everyone, this wouldn't necessarily work for everyone. Not everyone feels the need to implement something like this. And that's, I am not a believer by any means of prescribing One any size. sort of cookie cutter sleep solution for everyone. If it doesn't resonate with you and you're going, eh, you know what? I don't feel like that works for me. Mm -hmm. No problem. I know for me, having my husband do that feed allowed me to stick with breastfeeding. Yeah. It was, if I think I really truly feel like I would have given up earlier, I would have said, this is too hard. This is too draining on me. And the lactation consultant that I had on my podcast even said that allowing me to get that five hour stretch of sleep probably contributed to better milk supply, given that I was rested. There's, that was how I got from point A to point B. Yeah. And if that's not what doesn't work for someone else, that's totally fine. But I do find that this helps a lot of people. And I think it's important that you said that because 
that's exactly what I teach in birth is that you fill up your tool bag with all these different educational resources and then you figure out what works for me. And I think sometimes a new mom just needs permission to try something other than what she's being told is the only way. And so I think that's really important. I get tons of questions every day about my birth courses. And if you haven't joined us yet, I thought I would share some answers with you. What makes my birth course different than all other birth courses? This course is designed and taught by a labor nurse who is incredibly passionate about you and your birth experience. It is deeply rooted in evidence-based care and facts. Inside my birth course, you're going to have access to a private community group full of other women ready to help you at a moment's notice. Imagine what it will feel like to have an entire group of women in your corner who you can turn to with questions and fears. You will not be alone on this journey. Another question I get is, what if I feel like I don't have time? I know you're busy. We all are. But here's the thing. You can work at your own pace. It is self-paced, online. You have access for a lifetime. You can listen while you're doing the dishes, driving to work, folding laundry, or just hanging out. And what's really time-consuming is putting off your own self-care and then winging your birth. It's better an ounce of prevention now than a pound of cure later. This is a big investment for me. I'm not sure. Mama, a lot of insurance companies will reimburse you. Now, I can't say that for sure, but we can help you submit it for reimbursement. What if I decide this course isn't for me? No problem. We have a 14-day money-back guarantee. No questions asked. Just send us an email with your name and your email that you use to join your birth course and we'll take care of it. I'm not a first-time mom. Do I still need this? Did your last birth experience leave you feel empowered, full of confidence, and in awe of your body's abilities? If not, you can definitely improve this experience this time around better than anyone that you don't get a second shot at this birth. Use this chance to learn your rights and understand what your body is truly capable of. You won't regret it. Let me teach my proven steps for having a better birth experience that you long for and that you don't regret. If you have any other questions I didn't cover here, head over to Instagram, send me a DM, or send me an email at info at labornursemama.com. But if you are all ready to join, then go to labornursemama.com forward slash calm, C-A-L-M, because we want you to have a calm labor and a confident birth. Let me ask you, what else would you say are some really strong tips that they can try so they can figure out what works for them? Yes, yes. So the second really big piece of advice that I would give to moms of not just newborns, but really of babies of all ages. And that is to avoid overtiredness. You don't want your baby to be up for periods of time that are too long. And what that looks like is going to differ from baby to baby based mostly on their age. But the overall idea here is that when your little one is up for periods of time that are too long, their bodies begin producing higher levels of cortisol, which is a stress hormone. By the way, this applies to all humans of all ages across the board, but it goes without saying that babies get overtired way more quickly than adults do because they can only be up for really small amounts of time. And the reason why this matters and this is so important is because, first of all, when a baby becomes overtired and their cortisol levels spike, it makes it much, much harder to actually get them settled and get them to sleep when they've been up for that long, it can also lead to way more night wakings and just not being able to settle that baby throughout the night. So rather than being able to feed your baby and get her back to sleep, you might be stuck rocking her and settling her for an hour after she's eight because she was overtired from being up for too long throughout the day. 
And again, this concept really does apply across the board. The difference, of course, is generally speaking, what we're looking at in terms of how long they can be up for before they do get overtired. So for context, a brand newborn baby, let's say three, four weeks old, usually can't be up for longer than 45 to 60 minutes at any point during the day. And that includes the length of the, so if it's taking you 30 minutes to feed your three week old newborn, which is within the realm of normal, generally speaking, they might just need a diaper, a burp and a diaper change after that feed and maybe some quick tummy time. And then they're going to want to go back to sleep. <laughs> they're going to be tired. And when they're younger, you can use their body language, their sleepy cues to help guide you for when ballpark they're going to be ready. And you're looking for those subtle cues. You're looking for the eye rubbing. Some babies, they might pull their ears. Some might start spacing out a little bit. They might not be as attentive as they usually are. You want to avoid having a baby get really cranky, start to cry and whine and really be upset because that's usually a reflection of a baby who is overtired. So you want to try getting them back down to sleep before they get to that point. And then by the time you have a baby in, let's say the four month range, you might be looking at wake periods in the 90 minute to one hour and 45 minutes, sometimes two hour range before they are ready to go back to sleep, which again, in the grand scheme of things is not that big of a period of time. And it's so easy to lose track of time if you're busy doing a million other things. And then before you know it, your four month old's been up for three hours and is an absolute rest. prioritizing those daytime naps and prioritizing bedtime, earlier bedtime around those wake periods is a game changer in terms of not just the quality and quantity of sleep that you'll be able to get, but your little one's mood as well can really be impacted by this. So I'll share with you a really quick anecdote to just explain how powerful this stuff is. Two, two quick anecdotes, sorry. So I, what I forgot to mention earlier on is I, so I have three kids. So after I had that second baby that got me into this business. A few years later, I gave birth to my son, who's now three and a half, almost four. So he was the first baby that I had as a sleep professional. So it was cool because everything that I had been teaching my families for a number of years, I was able to apply to my own baby. And I don't mean to toot my own horn, but I will just cause by the time he was six weeks, I had him sleeping eight hour stretches at night wow. consistently. And he was exclusively breastfed. I'm just going to also put that out there. Exclusively breastfed with maybe one bottle every 24 hours, but more or less more or less exclusively breastfed. And, and he wasn't this dream unicorn baby that just magically figured this out. He was very much an average textbook baby where if I met him halfway, which of course I did, he would meet me halfway. But there was one day he was, and as a result, he barely ever cried. And it wasn't because he was this baby who never cried. It was because I knew when he was going to be hungry before he got over hungry per se and started screaming his brains off. I knew when he was going to be tired and need to go back down for a nap before he got overtired. And because I was always a few steps ahead, he was naturally this very content baby until there was one day where he was about six or seven weeks. And my dad came over for dinner and to see the kids. And I completely lost track of time or I miscalculated. I thought that my son was going to be due to go down for another nap around six six o'clock, but really I miscalculated by an hour. He had to go back down for a nap at five o'clock. And so I kept him up accidentally a full hour longer than needed to be. And so by six o'clock, he starts getting really upset. Like really, he starts crying and screaming to the point where I almost took him to the hospital. Laughing, but really, I was saying to my husband, I said, I got to take him to a doctor. I'm telling you, he must have a double ear infection or maybe he's insanely constipated, even though I had just changed a dirty diaper an hour ago. I said, there's something wrong. And my husband, who was such a calm, cool, collected guy, who kept saying, oh yeah, JJ is such a chilled baby. He's going, Eva, there's something wrong with JJ. This is not, he's never been screaming and crying like this before. Spoiler alert, there was no double ear infection. His stomach was fine. Everything was fine. He was overtired. He was overtired. 
And as a result, he screamed bloody murder as if it was colic, but it wasn't colic. It was overtiredness. And it was all because I miscalculated things, which of course is going to happen because you're human and even sleep consultants are human and make mistakes sometimes. But the reason why I'm sharing this is because this was the difference between a really happy, easy baby who was it was relatively easy being his mom versus a baby who was screaming his brains off. So that's the first thing that I just want to emphasize in terms of how powerful knowing being on top of your little one's wake windows can be with regards to keeping your baby happy and calm. The second thing that I'll mention is that when that same baby was four and a half months, he was still sleeping eight hour stretches that night. That hadn't changed. It was consistently happening since he was six weeks old. And for the very first time since I had given birth, I was going out for the night. I was going to go and hang out with some friends. And so my husband was going to do bedtime by himself with the three kids for the very first time. And so I gave my husband explicit instructions. I said, JJ woke up from his last nap at 6.30. He's got to be down for the night for eight because his bedtime wake window at the time was 90 minutes. So I said, okay, you're going to remember this? 90, he's got to be in the crib for the night for eight o'clock. Fine. I come home and I said, hi, how did everything go? How was it? And I, oh God, it was so crazy. And the kids were wild, yada. I said, did you get JJ down for eight o'clock? He goes, no, sorry, I lost track of time. I got him down for 8.30. And I said, oh, that was 30 minutes too late. And he goes, Eva, don't worry about it. JJ's a champ. He'll be just fine. (laughs) Spoiler alert. That is not what happened. That night, instead of JJ waking me up the one time that he had been waking me up since he was six weeks old, he woke me up four times that night. Four times. All because my husband kept him up 30 minutes too long. Now, I did not murder my husband. Just going to put that out there because I was, especially after the third or fourth time, I was just like, come on. Because he was still room sharing with us and my husband's a very light sleeper. My husband got woken up all four times. And so the natural consequence of not listening to your wife who does this for a living was he also got woken up those four times. And he apologized the next day and he's never missed bedtime ever again. But that's the first thing I want to just mention is that I did not murder him. The second thing is that It goes without saying that not all babies are going to respond exactly like this when you keep them up for 30 minutes too long. Of course, there are the way more easygoing babies who would still pull off a decent night despite the fact that they were up for 30 minutes too long. But my baby was much more average textbook and this was how he responded. So I'm not trying to say that every single baby is going to respond like this, but this is fairly common to see overtiredness causing way more night wakings than necessary which of course has a massive impact on your well-being, on your baby as well, because how you do in terms of maternal mental health impacts your baby tremendously. And it's such an easy thing that you can do, right? This isn't something that, you know, is tremendously onerous, ensuring that your little one napping frequently throughout the day, nor does it need to involve this massive overhaul of your lifestyle, because I'm not telling you to nap your baby in the crib every single time. In fact, I would never tell you to do that because that would make you housebound. And I don't want to do that to you because being housebound is not good for you. It's not good for anyone. And plus it's not necessary. So naps can absolutely happen on the go. They can happen in your stroller. They can happen in the baby carrier. They can happen in your arms. But when they happen and they happen when they need to happen, it means you eliminate overtiredness from the equation, which is a huge, very well-known culprit of bedtime battles and unnecessary night wakings. And my son is a perfect example of that. I love that. My husband's that example as well. The whole time you were talking, I was thinking, wow, there's a huge difference between this baby and my husband baby, because if he is overtired, it is the only time that he is just not reasonable. (laughs) He's such a big, yes, my husband, not my baby, my husband baby, (laughs) where I personally can go with a lot less sleep and still be happy, but not him. So I love when you were saying all babies are different and each of your own babies are different. So just keeping that in mind. So the last thing that I wanted to pick your brain on, because I've had seven children, my only one that I did not have this problem with was my daughter who I adopted and she was 16 months when she came home. None of my kids would let me put them down to sleep. 
So do you have any practical tips that these mamas, because it's hard. Like mine would get me mid lay down, like I'd be going into the lay down position and they would be like, oh, hell no, you're not putting me down. Yeah. (laughs) Without trying to sound like a broken record, (laughs) I will just emphasize that trying to put an overtired baby to sleep is an uphill battle at the best of times, right? Because if your little one has, if you have a six week old, for example, who can only be up for let's say 60 to 75 minute periods before she begins to get tired and she's been up for two or two and a half hours, she's naturally going to be more restless. She's gonna be more, less calm and much more difficult to soothe and get to sleep than if you had tried getting her to sleep 45 minutes earlier. And so sometimes the solution isn't the technique itself, though I'll talk about that next, but it's more, there's no point in me addressing soothing techniques if we're trying to apply that to an overtired baby, because it's an uphill battle at best. And so step number one is make sure that you're trying to get your little one down in that sweet spot and that they're not up for too long, because otherwise it will be much harder for them to settle, given that they're not as relaxed as they could be due to that overtiredness. So That's the first thing that I'll emphasize. And then another thing that I'll mention is that it's never too early to start introducing a bedtime routine for your newborn. And when I talk about a bedtime routine, I don't mean a whole long drawn out ordeal. It's a newborn, guys. It doesn't need to be. We're not talking something complicated. We're talking a bedtime song, maybe a a feed, a diaper change, swaddle them up, sing them a bedtime song. And maybe that song you only sing at bedtime. The research shows that by three weeks, babies are really able to start to understand and appreciate those That's incredible. It's very cool. Yeah, Yeah. there was actually a study that was done a little while ago for little ones in the three-week range. I think it was all the way up to either three or four years. And it was a controlled study where the intervention was a bedtime routine. Everything else remained the same. So the control group, nothing changed, obviously. For the other half, they were introduced a bedtime routine of some kind. And it was just the bedtime routine that changed. And they saw that within a three-week period, just by introducing a bedtime routine that of kids in that age range started falling asleep more quickly and they had less night wakings and less disruptions as well. What's so interesting to me in that is obviously I deal with adult women and I hear all the time about pregnancy, like insomnia. And the very first thing I tell them is to create a sleep routine. And these little people are just little humans. And I, that works for all of us, like having that routine. And even I like my daughter-in-law for my grandson, she used white noise. And it was, if that white noise went on, Asa knew it's sleep time. Yes. Yes, a hundred percent. I'm a huge fan of white noise as well because it mimics the sound of the womb. That's what adds, gives your baby, your newborn baby familiarity and makes them feel like they're at home being the womb, what they lived in for nine months. This world that we're living in is so different from what they were used to living in. And so, yes, that, that brings me to the third piece of advice that I give brand new moms when it comes to maximizing sleep in this newborn stage, avoiding overtiredness, introducing that bedtime routine more or less off the bat, like a simple bedtime song. And then the third thing is to try to recreate that womb-like environment. You mentioned white noise, which is great. A good safe swaddle, which by the way, is recommended by the AAP. They're totally fine with it as long as it's done safely, which means that it's tight around, loose around the hips, tight around the arms, nowhere near the face. You can still fit hand inside so it's not too tight around the chest. That mimics the womb hugely because they're used to living in a very tight, confined space. They're not used to having all this room to put their hands around. Yeah. Yeah. Lots and lots of space to be able to move around their hands, their arms and legs as they please. And so that adds that familiarity so that they can 
relax, and then from there, calm their little nervous system, and then from there, be able to go to sleep so much more easily than if if they're going, hey, where am I? This is weird. Especially if the goal is to transfer them out of your arms, provide that snug environment that also mimics the womb-like environment. And by no means is there anything wrong with having your baby sleep in your arms. And it's it's normal. It's natural. Babies are sleeping so much in that newborn stage that it happens. But it's also normal and natural for you to need a bit of a break, for you to be able to put your baby down. And go um, poop or something or, like that. Uh, for to do like normal people things like yeah. take a shower or drink, a co- drink your coffee without yeah. a baby in your arms. That is normal. That is normal. That is healthy. It is the opposite. You. It's the opposite of selfish. It is. It's a very, it's, you taking care of yourself means that you can fill up your tank so that you can continue to look after your baby and be there for your baby. And if the goal is to get that baby out of your arms, also being that snug environment, the swaddle can replicate that as well, making it so much easier for them to settle outside of you for when you need a break, which is okay. (laughs) I love that. I love those three tips because they're so manageable. I think sometimes when a new mom gets like 20 different things she's supposed to do, it's just too much. So I love that that's like really practical and so helpful. I really have enjoyed this so much. I feel like even just replacing that feed is so simple but so profound. And I'm really excited to even share that with my students because like I said, I've got a lot, they're in the throes of those early newborn newness. (laughs) The newness, I've loved this. So the last thing that I wanna ask you, I ask all my guests here on the birth experience is what is your superpower? My superpower, I would say is thinking outside the box and taking risks and doing things that I would say most people would not do. For example, leaving law to become a sleep consultant. In my mind, it actually was totally logical. In fact, in my mind, I wasn't taking a risk. It actually made the most amount of sense to me logically at that time calculating all the various different factors that needed to go into that decision. Also recognizing that many other people would say, I'm not doing that because I'm a lawyer and this is just, this is the career that I chose and this is what I'm going to do because who gives up law? Why would I ever do that? But The reality is that when you don't think outside the box and you don't look at things a little bit less typically, you can end up limiting. You're Mm. limiting where you might go in life. You never know. And in my mind, knowing that my law degree wasn't going anywhere and that my license wasn't going anywhere meant that I wasn't actually giving anything up because it was always something that I could go back to if I needed to, even though everybody else outside of my world was like, you're doing what? It is a big difference. (laughs) Except for you're negotiating with small little people. Yes. Not so much. You know what? It's more like I teach, it's mostly the moms. I teach the moms how to help their little ones. So the moms are doing the negotiation. I'm coaching them (laughs) on how to best negotiate. And I couldn't be happier because I'm doing something that I love. And it's not that I hated law by any Mm -hmm. means. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit as well, specifically, you know, what I was doing, but what I'm doing right now is so much more fulfilling that even though I work so hard and work really long days and just ask my husband, it really truly doesn't feel like the way that work used to feel where I was enjoying it, but also counting down the minutes until my day is done. And then I could clock out. Oh no, girl, I hear you. It's different. I feel the same way. And you're probably working way more hours than you worked before, but it doesn't feel that way. I know the same for me because I was a bedside nurse for so many years. And now I am educating and empowering women to advocate for themselves. And there's such a passion in that because I realized how my hands were tied at bedside because 
I can't go against what the hospital says or the doctors say. I'm under their orders. So to be able to empower these women and know this is really, because not all women are like, listen, if I give birth in the waiting room, I will cause an issue here. <laughs> Some women are just people pleasers. A lot of women, a lot of women are, and a lot of women feel like they can't stand up to the, the rules. But so I love that. So my last question would be, what is your husband's name? What would Isaac say your superpower is? My energy levels. I All right. Think, I think that's what he would say. What he was initially attracted to, what initially attracted him to me was my high energy personality because it it's such a good fit for his more mellow, like even keeled personality. Yeah. I think if I was married to a male version of myself, I'd kill him. I think I would. In yeah. fact, and my husband does not believe this story to this day, but I was actually set up with someone who talks more than me and louder than me. And I wanted to kill him. It was the worst date of my entire life. I couldn't wait for it yeah. to end. This was well before I, I met my husband, obviously. But I tell my husband this story and he's going, I don't believe it. Yeah, that's, that's not, not possible. possible. <laughs> there can't possibly be a dude out there that is louder and more energetic and more hyper yeah. and spunky than you. And I said, there is. And this is what his name is. And I couldn't wait for that day to end. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny that you said that because my husband and I, we've only been married for two years. And he is quite the talker, and so am I. But for the first time in my adult life, I am not the most talkative of the talkers. And it's so thrilling to me. It's so funny. And he, my family's very loud. His family is loud, but it works because I definitely, he's definitely way more laid back than me, even though he's a talker. And I'm just yeah. like very like, on it. But I have so enjoyed talking to you, Eva. I'm sorry that it took so long for us to do this. You know what? It's all good things are worth waiting for. So well, I'm so happy is... to have been able to be here as well. Yeah. And timing is perfect. So I know this was the right time. But I am so excited for my guests to be able to learn from you. And I'm going to link to some of your products in the show notes and in the blog post for this episode. So can you tell my guests where they can find you? Yes. My website is mysleepingbaby.com and I have a podcast called the My Sleeping Baby Podcast. So there's tons of free, really amazing content there. Uh, in terms of for those people that are looking for more, more detailed help for their little one's sleep, I'm actually waist deep in putting together an online newborn sleep program. Oh, I love so it. It's taking some of the concepts that I talked about today and applying them in much more detail, concise step-by-step -step modules. So that I am hoping to have out launched to the world by the end of the summer. And then for anyone listening who doesn't have a newborn anymore, maybe they now have an infant or an older infant or a toddler, I have a free masterclass that you can watch all about how you can get your little one sleeping like a champ so you can feel like a functioning human again. So I will send you over that link. That's a that, long uh, title. <laughs> you can post. Yeah. So I'll just send you over the link so that you can send that off to your people. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. I really enjoyed this. Thanks again. Hey, Mama, I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Birth Experience with Labor Nurse Mama. If you are in the throes of newborn life and sleep deprivation, take a minute, write a review, and say thank you for these practical tips. I wish I had known some of these simple strategies when my babies were newborns. If you want more info about this valuable conversation, then head to labornursemama.com forward slash sleeping baby. As always, hit subscribe if you haven't already, and I would so appreciate it if you would take a moment and write a review. We love you guys, and we treasure your reviews. As always, see you next Friday. Bye.